how the message is all for Jesus, although it doesn't, yeah, I guess it sums it up, but it's all for Jesus. It's in Colossians chapter 1, and, and you see verse 16, and actually the, the third part of, of verse 16 is uh, printed out in your bulletin, but I'm going to actually read, and, and um, if you have your Bibles, or if you have your app, or whatever it is, your Bible app, we're going to read verses actually 15 through 20 in just, just a moment here. But I want to give a little bit of context um, as always, a lot of the epistles, a lot of the writings in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, um, but the prophets did this as well, um, were there to combat false teaching or erroneous views about who God was or why we're here or to correct a worldview that was completely skewed and off track. Uh, those were all were, were written for that purpose and especially the epistles. And Paul does this a lot. And one of the things that Paul does uh, very extensively, really, with, with few words. In, in Philippians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, he's combating all kinds of false teaching that, that have to do with our salvation, minimizing it or making salvation something else that it isn't and what it means to be born again and to have eternal life after you die to live forever and ever with Jesus. Um, he combats, uh, especially in Colossians here, we're going to read in this whole epistle, he, his main thing is, to, to combat all the erroneous views about who Jesus is, where all these efforts are being made and have been made to make Jesus this. Just a little tiny guy that came 2,000 years ago, and as some religions might teach, he's just another prophet. He's actually a, a prophet who's second in line after another prophet of theirs. Or, 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 or that he's just, he's just a son of God, but he, he's not really God. They're making Jesus small. They're not making him who he is. And, and we'll see in a moment that Jesus is, is God. But, but, and so Paul's constantly combating this. And one of the things that's going on uh, during this era, during this time when Colossians is written, is that the Gnostics and the Greeks and, and others as well, there's a mix. There's a lot of stuff going on. And it, you know, it's no different than what it is today. Just to, if you want application right off the bat, nothing has changed since, since the fall, since Adam and Eve have sinned. Everything has been twisted and perverted. The truth has been twisted and perverted and minimized. And people have done whatever they wanted to and concocted their own ideas of reality and who God is and who Jesus is. And everything's subjective. Nothing's objective. You can't be totally sure. It's, that's not the standard. I'm the standard. Or those are the standards. And you choose which ones work. But I want to be clear that if you read the epistles of Paul, he debunks all of that. All of that. So during the time of Colossians, something going on in this word you've heard before is there's a lot of syncretism going on. What that means is, is that you're adopting practices and religious beliefs of all kinds of religions and making them one and saying it works. That's like saying, that's like saying mathematically that I can randomly take any formula. I could take a fraction, a decimal, any number, like 300 of them, and just say, add them all up, and they come up to a whole number. The odds of that are like zero. It doesn't work. And that's why Jesus in his teaching said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one. There's only one. There's not more than one. And you can't, if you believe in a Jesus, the Bible teaches this. And just a little side thing. The Bible teaches that if you believe in a Jesus, that he is, that you have salvation or that you can have peace and you can have eternal security and go to heaven one day. And it's Jesus and and you, you add something to that, or it's something and Jesus, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Plain and simple. If you believe that it's someone else than Jesus altogether, 
Well, that's a whole different discussion, but the Bible declares that Jesus is the one and only. There is no substitute. There is no one else in his place that can bring you to God the Father and to lead you to God the Father and make a way to God the Father because of his sacrificial death. There's no one else that can do that. So Paul's combating all these teachings. And, and one of the biggest thing here is in chapter 1 and 2 is that he's combating these teachings that reduce Jesus Christ to just another way to God. See, the Gnostics, they believed that Jesus was an emanation or he was just like this manifestation where, that came out from God. And there were many of them. And he was like just one of the rungs on the ladder to God. Not the latter. Does that make sense? And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. That's not who Jesus is. He can never be that. He never was that. So all the stuff that's being taught like that, Paul is saying, not there. And Paul emphatically says, absolutely not. No. And it's a clear statement in Colossians that he makes that Christ is the only one who is sufficient to bring us to God. And he is the only one who is supreme in bringing us to God. Amen. He's all-sufficient, and he's all-supreme. There's no one as high, as great, as mighty as he. You know, I have this picture when I think about supremacy, and I think about what Paul writes here. I'm going to read in a second. Is I, I just see myself standing, and it's like you go into a huge mountain, and you're in a valley, and you look around this mountain. Like, let's just say it's 3,000 feet tall at that point. You're looking 3,000 feet up. And it's like you're looking around, and everything is dwarfed by this thing in, in its vicinity. Because as far as your eye can see. But then you look, and way above that mountain, that's where Jesus is. And he's like standing on it, but over it. And he's just, you can't, it's way, he's the pinnacle of, of all beings, of all persons, of all things that, are, that exist. He is supreme. He's the one and only. He's almighty. There's only one Jesus. He's supreme. You know, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Read along with me with the words of what Paul says about Jesus. Because today, in our time, the same kind of thoughts and mentalities and ideas and philosophies exist. And we have adopted them far too often. And I fear that we might be in danger of worshiping the wrong Jesus or no Jesus at all. Verse 15 says in Colossians, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's all for Jesus. All right. I know I'm just reading that. I know it's a cruddy day and I know that it's dreary out and some of you are tired and whatever. You're not feeling well and all that. But, but if, you're, if, you're, if you know that to be true, I'm going to read that again, just because it should evoke something in you to realize who you are, especially if you are a child of God by faith and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to say, man, I am created for Him. To realize what that means and how awesome the path is before us and everything that, that, that comes before us is an absolutely amazing thing because God has it all planned out for us already. For by in him, in him, or another way to say it is, because of him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Amen. Amen. I'll say amen. 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 Praise God. That makes me excited because I know why I'm living. All right. 
Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, He rose again from the dead. It has more meaning than that, but He rose from the dead. He's the first and the only one. And we're gonna, we sang about that too. We're going to follow suit one day because of our faith where we'll be raised from the dead and we'll be with Him. Amen. And He says, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. So that in all things, he would be way up there. He's the pinnacle of all existence. He's everything we look to. He's supreme. He's master. He's Lord. He's over it all. There's no other. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 15 and 17 declare that Jesus Christ is creator God. And, and I just read that. And, they should, and then really what it does is it shows for us four ways that he relates to his creation. Four ways that he relates to creation. In verse 15, the first way that he relates to his creation that he made, we see that Christ existed before creation. If you want to know his relationship to everything we see, well, he was here before it all. Plain and simple. He existed before all of creation. He was here. The Son is the image of the invisible God, Paul says. What is he saying? He's saying he's the likeness or a manifestation. The better way to understand that when at that word and in that context is that he is an exact representation of who God is. He came as God because he is God. And because he's God, he was there because God created everything and nothing created God. God was not created. He was self-existent and self-sufficient. John 1.8 John writes this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. That's Jesus. What does that mean? That means that He was there all along. That He was there before everything we see was ever created. He's God Himself and that He was there all along. The idea of image conveys two ideas, as I mentioned. That Christ is the image of God in that He is the exact likeness of God and also that He is the perfect manifestation of God. And we spent much time talking about that with Emmanuel and with Christmas and the incarnation of Christ. We celebrated His coming for us. God's nature and being are perfectly revealed in Jesus. Amen? The Bible teaches us that. John 10, chapter 10 and verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. Jesus' preexistence was on display in a number of ways. When you look in the Gospels, while he was on, here on earth, you could see how his preexistence was on display. One of the things he did is he healed He healed. Not God healed through someone. He healed. Jesus himself healed. The Bible records in the Gospels all kinds of healings. Matthew is replete, especially in the first few chapters. And there are three or four times in the first uh, several chapters of Matthew where it says that multitudes of sick were brought to him and he healed them all. Now, he didn't always heal all, but in those cases where that was documented, he healed people. Who else does that? Not me. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only Jesus did that. Only Jesus can do that. And so he, he demonstrated that he was deity, that he was always there and he's powerful and he and the Father are one and that he was preexistent. He, he forgave sins. 
no one else forgave sins and can forgive sins or has the authority to say, you know what, all the stuff you did in your past, all the sins of your past, I, sometimes it's hard for us to accept when someone forgives us, right? But Jesus has the authority to say, I can wipe the slate completely clean. No one else can do that. And when he said that, when he did that, in conjunction with his healings, he heals someone. He says, and go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. The people, the Pharisees, those who were so religious, were freaking out. And they said, that's blasphemy. Only God can do that. But Jesus never said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't say that. Because he was God. He was preexistent. He was there all along. He exercised control. We sang about that as well. Over all of creation. The storms, the wind, the rain. The, the, the Old Testament and the prophets and the Psalms, they tell us how God controls all of nature and all the science. Right? They follow His voice. Did we not sing that? Science and nature follow His voice. He's the God supreme The God who always was. God implied, or Jesus implied that he had authority over the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2. There's a long list. He said many times that he came down from heaven, the place where only God is. And he did that several times in in John's gospel. He exercised, or he, he received worship. He received worship and he didn't say, don't worship me. Because he's God. He received that worship. And how about just to sum it up? He was resurrected from the dead. He's God. He said it would happen and it happened and he came back to life, if you will. He was resurrected from the dead. Jesus is God. He's the firstborn over all creation in our text, it says. It doesn't mean that he is the first one to be a created being. That's not what that means. What it means is, is that Christ is before all creation in all of time. Amen. He's above and above. He, he, he was there all along. He's above it and he's in control of it. That's what it means. And this speaks of his supremacy in creation or his lordship over it, that he rules over it. He was always God and he always will be God. Because if he changed, well, I wouldn't want to serve a God like that, would you? Secondly, in verse 16, the Bible says that he is firstborn or lord over creation because we see that Christ created all things. His relation to creation is that he existed before creation, but secondly, that he created all these things. He is the creator, as I made reference to that already. He made it all. He made it all. From Psalm 139 earlier, where we are fashioned and formed in our mother's womb, to all the things that we see on the outside, he made it all. Nature is absolutely beautiful. The scenery, the stunning things that we can view with our eyes and just be like, wow, we're so tiny and this is so huge. He made it all. For in him, the Bible says, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. We have evidence of Christ's presence in creation in the Genesis account. When God says, In in, in, uh, chapter 1 and verse 26 of Genesis, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, just one word. Let us. Now, you you might, some of you are familiar with this, but maybe some of you are not. Let us make mankind in our image. Well, God isn't plural. He's one. But let us. What does that mean? That means that there's that perfect relationship. There's this one God in three persons. We call call it the Trinity. The word isn't in the Bible, but there is evidence of that throughout Scripture. The triune God. That there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us 
together, collectively, Jesus was there with this idea together, all in the Godhead saying, we're going to make man in our image so we can have relationship with him and, 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 and have pleasure in that relationship. That was God's intention. In him, all things were created. Jesus was there when God the Father and the Holy Spirit we're creating everything we see. John chapter 1, verse 3. I go to John again. He says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now I could just go scripture after scripture just to reinforce and reaffirm what the Bible says over and over again. That Jesus is God and he was there all along. But also that he created and he was there at creation. You know, one of the things that fascinates me, I was thinking, and uh I, I get fascinated by cool things like, you know, in, in Switzerland, they have the, the thing that busts up the particles. What is that thing called? It's this huge accelerator. accelerator. There you go. And, and this, whatever goes on there, and it's breaking this up and trying to find out the, the origin of the universe. <laughs> right? They're, they're trying to do that all the time, if that's what they're doing and how things work. But I had a question. I was thinking. So I did a little research, but matter, like matter, physical matter, Matter is made up, did you know, mostly of space. So then how is it that I have like this solid structure, this material thing? But it's made up. I know there's atoms and they're bouncing around. There's all kinds of stuff going on and, and the science and, and all that. I'm not an expert, all right? So don't run away. I'm not an expert, but from the little I know. But matter is made up mostly of space. And so my question is, what keeps it together? Okay, so I did a little research. So I, read, I, read this, I laughed when I read it. Somebody had an article and they said, well, they're called quarks. Q-U-A-R-K-S. And what it is is, it's these subatomic particles. They're all moving so fast in, within matter and they create a force. But my, it doesn't answer my question. Well, where did that force come from? What keeps it all together? Do you know the, do you know the truth is? You can research until you're blue in the face. And you can find a, I was talking to Gary before, you can find a mathematical way to explain this, but the math doesn't even do the justice for it. So there's really no explanation, ultimately, even scientifically, and I stand by this, scientifically, of how things are held together. Now, I know some of you, because I said that, are going to be like, I want to find that out. Good! Go do it! Because it'll reinforce my point. You, you cannot fully explain how things are held together. Not fully. You can't do it. There are theories, there are ideas, there's math, there's protons, there's subatomic particles, the quarks, and all this other stuff. But you can't explain how it all stays together. Can't do it. Can't do it. I don't know. But all things, Paul says, visible or invisible, matter or immaterial, that's right. Gravity, air, all the atomic stuff, whatever authority even exists, Paul says. Paul addresses all this and says it's made by him, it's through him, and it's for him. For Jesus. Now, when Paul says that all these powers and thrones and authorities and dominions, he doesn't mean, one of the things that these people, were, when their religion were doing around him, were saying that there are all these beings, like the, the ladders on the rungs, there are these levels, there's a hierarchy of spiritual beings, like I'm, I'm God number one, I'm God number 24 billion, and you know, I'm the lower God, I'm the higher God, or the angels, or whatever spirits were involved there. They were involved in this whole thing, this weird, listen, I don't even know it all, and I don't, I've got to be honest with you, I don't want to know it all. 
because it's, it's, it's not quirky, it's quacky. Okay, anyway, um, it's weird. It's weird stuff. And Paul makes it so simple and says, listen, Jesus isn't involved in all that. He's not recognizing that that even exists. What he's saying is that whatever authority or power there is exists because of Jesus, and Jesus is over it all. Amen. They have their place when they, wherever they exist. But Jesus is the ultimate authority, and he's the power. And the dominion, and his dominion, and he has rule. And so, again, whatever the powers there are, Jesus made them, and he is their Lord. And so, again, Paul addresses these things, and he says, listen, Jesus is the one who created everything. Whether you see it or don't see it, whether it's powers, whether it's authorities, whether it's material things, immaterial things, he made it all, and it's all for him. Which leads to the third one. The third relation that Christ has to his creation is found in that last portion. It says, all things have been created, been created through him and for him. In other words, his relation to creation is this. It all exists for him. It all exists for him. I want to pause right here and just ask a question. Have you come to understand that you exist for Jesus? Have you come to understand that? And if you have, and when you do, everything changes. Everything changes. Because when you don't have that awareness and you don't walk in that knowledge regularly, especially if you're a Christian, you will do things, say things, and think things that, well, they challenge the supremacy of Christ in your life. And suddenly he becomes a rung on the ladder. Or he becomes a a lesser God or whatever that comes from the one true God, the supreme being of the universe, which is God himself, by the way, Jesus. All things exist for him. Warren Wearsby, he's a, a theologian and he's a commentator and he wrote a lot of books and things. He said, I'm just going to read what he said because it's really amazing. He says, everything exists in him, for him, and through him. Jesus Christ is the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being, and the one for whom they were made. Paul's use of three different prepositions is one way of refuting the philosophy of the false teachers. For centuries, Greek philosophers had taught that everything needed a primary cause, an instrumental cause, and a final cause. The primary cause is the plan. The instrumental cause is the power. And the final cause is the purpose. When it comes to creation, Jesus Christ is the primary cause. He planned it. He's the instrumental cause. He produced it. And he's the final cause. He did it for his own pleasure. I can't sum it up any other way. It's the best summary of who Jesus is and why all things exist for him. He is the primary cause, the instrumental cause, and the final cause. It means God's creation can be used for his purpose and glory. I'll ask again. Are you? Are you being used for God's glory and purpose? Are you aware of that? Are you allowing him to use you for his purpose and glory? You know, God used people and events throughout the Bible history. And sometimes you wonder, and even the, the, the Bible tells us and records, that God used Pharaoh. Yeah, he was this evil guy who wanted to do no good. He was out to destroy God's people. That whole story, as well as many others in the Old Testament, even the New Testament. But they're all created. Now, I can't explain it because I'm not God. 
And I'm not going to try. But they're all created for, for a purpose. They're all created to glorify God. They're created for Jesus, to elevate him, to, to, to show that he is supreme, that he is lofty, that he is mighty, that he is Lord of the universe, and he has a plan and a purpose to somehow bring things all back together to himself. And when they get brought back to himself in the end, what's it for? It's to say, you are King Jesus. You are awesome. There is no one like you. It doesn't matter because one day after we all leave this planet and we all see Jesus face to face, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter if you love God, didn't love God, no matter if you're evil, if you're good, whatever you think you are, every single person, every knee, Paul says in Philippians, is going to bow to him and say, you are awesome, Jesus. You're a creator God and everything exists for you and we worship you and we love you even though we don't know you. Even those who didn't know him, they're going to do that. Because everything exists, starts with Jesus, and it all comes right back to Jesus. He's the guy. He's the man. It's all about Jesus. You know what? The good and the evil, the easy, the difficult, and all for those of us who recognize God, we can say with Paul, and we accept him as Lord and Savior, we can recognize with Paul what he said in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. For who? For those who love him. He qualifies it. And, and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Revelation 4.11. Here we go. Days in the future. But this is going on now, actually. It says here, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.11. It's going on. It's going to be declared. All things. He's being worshipped that way, that everything is for God. Man, I wish I could be there, but we've got to wait our turn, right? To, to, to understand what that is and the beauty of that. J.B. Lightfoot is a commentator, and he describes this aspects of Christ's relationship to creation. He says, He is the principle of cohesion in the universe. He impresses on creation the unity and solidarity, which makes it a cosmos instead of a chaos. In fact, I should have just read that not to confuse you. Just that last phrase. You know what Jesus does? It's all held together for him in verse 17 here. And it's all for him and it's held together by him. It's because he puts it all together for his glory and he makes it a cosmos instead of a chaos. Do you ever feel like your life is chaos? We all chuckle because we do, right? It feels like everything's out of control. Nothing makes sense. Nothing's sticking together. It doesn't make sense. But this gives us the fourth relationship that Jesus has to his creation. That he holds it all together. Jesus holds it all together. You know, I mentioned about matter and wondering about how that works. And, and that even he even created all that and all those quarks and all those different things. But here he holds it all together. I can't explain it, but he keeps it all together instead of a chaos. If there wasn't for Jesus, it would be just blah and stuff all over the place. And it would be like nonstop noise and, and disorder and nothing would make sense. And it would just, you wouldn't have what we see, which shows order and intelligent design because... God created everything. Jesus created everything. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But this is what he says here in verse 3. He sustains all things by his powerful word. There's no Jesus. There's no cohesion. There's no, it, nothing stays together. I cling to this truth as we close this morning. I cling to this truth. If it weren't for God in my life, 
my existence would be chaos. There'd be no order, no reason, no purpose. But he existed before anything that is. And he created me. He created you this morning if you're sitting here. And he holds it all together so that you don't go flying off this planet. And so that you and I could exist for him. And then things start to make sense. It doesn't mean you get all the answers to life. It just means they start to make sense. And you start living with a purpose. And you know where you're going. And not just going through the motion and, and, and making the money and looking for the next promotion or, or whatever it is. I, I, the list could go. I don't want to get into a list. Because I'm going to sound. It, it just, but we do all these things. But first and foremost, you exist for Him. My question is do you? Do you exist for Him? Do you see and know him as creator God? You know, verse 18 and 20 in our text says that he is the head of his church. It means that he was, he was the firstborn from the dead. He resurrected. It means that he, and he, he, he could be for, for us the one who does supernatural things in our life. And the most supernatural thing, if I could call it that, is that he can change our life and make us a new creation. Then he bring us from a place where it was chaotic And he could bring order to our little cosmos right here. Right here. He's the head of his church. Means that he's in charge. And so those of us who have come, he's in charge. He knows what's going on. He's Lord over it all. He doesn't let us go. We sang about that and he's got a plan. Listen, you were made to know and to love and to glorify God. You were made that way by your creator, Jesus. And I encourage you and I challenge you that if you haven't, to believe on him. To accept the sacrifice that he made for you as creator God. He died for your sins and he rose again so that you could live forever and you could have this understanding that Jesus existed before everything that was. That he created everything that is and ever will be. He created it. That he holds all things together and that everything exists for him. You can know that when you make him your Lord and Savior. Would you do that today? Will you do that today? Maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you are a Christian here this morning and you're like, yeah, I've been kind of wandering. I'm kind of drifting. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not really giving God much attention. I'm, I'm forgetting that I exist for him. All you got to do is simply say, Lord, just renew that perspective and that vision in my mind and my heart. Go out of here knowing that you exist for him because it's all about Jesus. Amen?